Welcome to Imagine This Podcast. A conversation show where we talk to you, Milwaukee's arts, cultural, and creative leaders to highlight all the incredible transformative work in our region. We hope that after listening to the pod, you will see our region and all the awesome artists, arts organizations, and creative assets in Milwaukee in a new way. I'm David Lee. I'm MacArthur Antigua. And I'm Lindsay Sheridan. Hey, hey, David, Elizabeth, how's it going? Hey, hey Lindsay. Lindsay. Hey, Elizabeth. <laughs> Welcome back. <laughs> and joining the new trio, the new trio of David, Elizabeth, Lindsay. Wait, wait it, did Elizabeth get the job? Did she win the audition? Is, is she still auditioning? I think she, I think she won, considering she's the only one auditioning. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I'm a shoe I think perhaps Elizabeth is a stronger critic of herself than us. We're we're happy to have her on board, and uh, we've had some excellent interviews already with her on the podcasting team. Wait, have Thanks, you heard Lindsay. the rest of our of our of our podcasts, Lindsay? I mean, Elizabeth definitely classes up the joint. Oh, totally, <laughs> totally. That's right. That's right. Well, we're happy to have Elizabeth here with us. We're happy to have you listeners here with us um, for the new era of Imagine This Podcast. <laughs> Shout out to Mac. Uh, and later later in the episode, we're going to have Mary Louise Schumacher joining us, maybe a name that's very familiar to many of our listeners. Mary Louise is an independent journalist, critic, and filmmaker, uh, longtime uh, leading voice on arts and culture in Milwaukee. And she's currently at work on a first documentary film that we'll hear more about later. But thinking about criticism and the role of, of it in shaping our perceptions of our personal experience of arts and culture put us in this direction of thinking about who influenced how we perceived art. That could be a critic, sure. Could be an artist, could be uh, any number of folks. And so I'm curious, just to get right into it, straight to the question at hand, uh, Elizabeth and David, thinking about was there a moment in your understanding of art that somehow art writ large <laughs> all forms mm -hmm. that somehow pivoted your understanding of it in some way yeah I am excited about this question because it speaks to my relationship with Milwaukee so I studied art in undergrad uh, art and creative writing and um, my practice, by the time I was finishing school, my practice came to a place of installation and performance artwork and sculpture. Um, but when I moved to Milwaukee right after college for an internship with Present Music, I was thrown headlong into the arts and culture scene here. And one of the first things that really stood out to me was the prevalence of a social practice, which is something that I was not previously familiar with. And in case any of our listeners are not familiar with the concept of social practice, the Tate Museum defines it as a socially engaged practice of art that is collaborative, often participatory, mm -hmm. and involves people as the medium or material of the work. So right off the bat, I just noticed that there were all these experiences that I was getting myself into um, as a, actually at the time as an arts and culture journalist for the Third Coast Digest and a marketing intern for Present Music. And I found myself in the midst of some really exciting stuff. And I'll just give a couple of examples just because it's it's too too rich not to, not to give a few shout outs. So initially when I moved to Milwaukee, 
I heard about this artist, Sarah Gail Luther, who was on the pod last week and um, is a dear friend and musical collaborator of mine. And I heard about her through my now longtime partner, Neil Gasparka. And he described to me this project that she conducted called the Sunset Theater, where she, um, so for anyone who was living in Milwaukee 10 years ago, there used to be these pockets of, of gravel downtown, <laughs> or not pockets of gravel, let's say mountains of gravel, um, where sections of the highway uh, that were slated to be constructed never actually got built. So in some of the places where there are now fancy condos, there used to be just piles of gravel. <laughs> and Sarah created a sunset theater. So she set up folding chairs and created an environment for people in Milwaukee to gather together and experience the sunset. And I remember thinking, is that art? (laughs) (laughs) But like in a way that was really excited and really challenged. And then over the years was exposed to many more um, iterations of incredible social practice work. Some early friends of mine in Milwaukee who have remained friends of mine, uh, Rudy Medina and Alex Christensen, for quite a while were running something called the Open Kitchen, uh, which was just this beautiful, yeah, this beautiful artwork that was them creating delicious food for their friends (laughs) and hosting events where you could come and try some really... um, exciting and interesting flavors, particularly of like hot sauces uh, that they made themselves and curating a a taste experience for people to share together. So those are just a couple examples that stand out to me from Milwaukee. You know what I find so fascinating, Elizabeth, about the the story you just shared is that like, you know, artists here in Milwaukee and creatives here in Milwaukee, like Sergio Luther and many of the folks in your friend group and beyond, right? have these practices that are so deeply rooted in the community and so deeply rooted in the in the experience of people right and experience of the city and this sort mm-hmm. of idea of a social practice is really at the core essentially what we're trying to get after in talking about milwaukee being a healthy and thriving city right when you think about our vision right sort of creating mm-hmm. a a a thriving and vibrant milwaukee power of arts and culture i mean that's it and i'm 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 curious how we as imagine um with our partners in the sector and with artists um like like uh like sarah and and and, and other folks right throughout our, our region can begin to to sort of measure that right to be able to make a statement mm-hmm. that milwaukeeans are healthier than anybody else because they live here and because of the the, the, the <laughs> practices of the creatives here right i think that's really that's so fascinating mm. Mm, you know, I don't have much else to add because my thoughts were going to very similar examples to what Elizabeth shared, but from my, you know, in experiences embedded in my college, college years where I was a music student, but I think still kind of understanding music and art to be uh, relatively traditional, relatively, you know, what was put in front of me in school wasn't necessarily that conversation between art and community in the same way. Um, but getting out into like experiences and interning in Wisconsin and, you know, heading to a fermentation fest meeting in Western Wisconsin or um, beginning to build some of that art and community practice in my work in Iowa. But all of that to say that uh, 
the role of the participant uh, or a critic is essential to that, right? It's not just the artist putting something out there to be to be seen, to be absorbed. That sort of work like you're describing requires everyone to show up and be ready to be fully alive in it. And that's mm-hmm. what's so exciting um, and, and what then mm-hmm. builds some of that transformative power that David's talking about uh, yes. getting into measuring. Yeah. That just makes me think of the word hospitality, right? That's something that Milwaukee is really known for. Mm-hmm. People who come and visit us, they sense that. They sense that feeling of um, openness and warmth that I think Milwaukee is a really good producer of. Yeah, some, <laughs> something's in the water here. Mm-hmm. Well, after the break, we get to hear more from Mary Louise about her view of Milwaukee arts and culture over many years uh, and how she's reflecting the, the change in coverage here and nationally uh, in her new film, Out of the Picture. So after the break, Mary Louise. Hello, Mary Louise. Welcome to Imagine This Podcast. Hey, you guys. It's great to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, we're really looking forward to hearing about your new film, Out of the Picture, and um, just the whole process and experience of creating that. But mm-hmm. before we jump into that, uh, wondering if you could kick us off by telling us a story of an arts or cultural experience that left a strong imprint on you. Yes, I love this question. Um, I appreciate that you sent it to me in advance. I hope you understand <laughs> like what a deeply cruel question that is to ask of an art critic because <laughs> obviously it's my job to have those. I have like decades of those to, to pick from, which is impossible. But I will just I share with you actually um, an experience that came up literally over coffee this morning with my partner, Ken. Um, we were you know, lying in bed, drinking our coffee as we do, going through Facebook and saw some comments made by the um, ever crabby but lovely artist Roy Staub. Um, and I, it just reminded me of um, this wonderful art experience I had with Roy Staub um, years ago. He was making this lovely piece called Nature Bell. And it was in the middle of a a rotary in the Menominee Valley. And Mm. I don't know, for those who don't know Roy, he he Mm. makes these really quiet um, environmental pieces that are made from plants that are literally gathered from feet Mm. away from where he actually makes the installation. His work is very kind of long suffering and takes a very long time to do. And they're very kind of fragile, beautiful, constructions that eventually just kind of um, fall apart naturally within Mm. their environment. And um, I was in the newsroom one day and Roy was working on this piece, again, called Nature Bell, which kind of looked like a giant hoop skirt or a bell. And it was sitting in the middle of this rotary. (laughs) Mm -hmm. He calls me on the phone and he's like, Mary Louise, you've got to come down here right now. It's there's a storm coming and it's just going to all fall apart. Like you've got to come down here. And so I, I got in my car and raced down there and the storm was like swinging this bell all over the place. And the whole thing was buckling in the wind. So this like perfectly round kind of very minimalist, um, pristine and geometric shape had become very kind of beautifully buckled and and Roy was just like 
you know, he had been an artist for a very long time and he was witnessing something happen to his own work Mm. that he had literally never seen. It, It kind of opened up a whole part of him and made him see his own work differently. Mm -hmm. And it was just really an exciting moment to see an artist in the middle of a discovery of his own work after all of those years and to see so much joy in in the actual destruction of an idea for another idea, right? Mm -hmm. Right before our eyes. And, you know, I literally never go past that rotary without thinking about that day, without thinking about Roy, Mm -hmm. without thinking about the plants that are native to the place in which Mm -hmm. we live. You know, it it left this like really beautiful trace Mm -hmm. in the landscape for me. So I think about that a lot. And that's one of many, but I I think a really good one. I love that. And it's really easy to picture Roy kind of running around in the middle of the yeah. blowing wind and yeah. uh, just yeah. kind of feeling it and loving yeah. it. And, you know, the sad thing is we made a video of this and it's so like Roy will email me about every five years and say, are you sure it's lost forever? Cause it was such a Aww. precious moment, <laughs> but I took a terrible video of that day and just literally like while Roy was in this moment of like, mm. you know, joy and discovery and because it was stored on the website of the newspaper and the newspaper management, content management system shifted, like it got lost oh, and no. was never to be found again. And I should have saved a copy and didn't, and it's just gone. And it's very mm. sad. <laughs> very oh. sad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. A digital death. <laughs> a little oh, digital death, right. Yes. Which draws a line to the story of my film at some point, a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, Mary Louise, you're touching on, you know, your background in uh, working as a, a, an art critic for the journal Sentinel. So I'm wondering if you can just, for context, tell us a little bit about your trajectory in journalism and writing and how that sure. led you to this moment of stepping yeah. into filmmaking as a medium. Well, I started out really as a hard news reporter. Um, When I was a young journalist, I covered Congress. I covered the White House. I went to the Middle East to write about forms of community in the West Bank and in Gaza. Wow. I covered veterans affairs. I covered technology and privacy for a brief period of time when that was um, genuinely a novel thing. Mm -hmm. And and I, I also in college had studied art history but never imagined that I would bring my profession and my love of art and art history together. Because even then, you know, now well over 20 years ago, those jobs were rare, even at that time, right? Mm. Um, And so Mm -hmm. I then though spotted this job posting for a cultural reporter at the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. I was working for a um, kind of a tech portal in New York City and called, you know, on the phone, got the details, sent off my application, interviewed, Mm -hmm. and really was enticed by this idea of coming to a place I had never been Mm -hmm. um, to write about a city that was going through a lot of change. You know, that was when the Calatrava was, the Milwaukee Mm -hmm. Art Museum's building was still under construction, was um, marking a, a, what, 
was thought to be a cultural shift in the city, mm -hmm. there was a lot of excitement at that time. And they really needed somebody to be backup to the then art critic, James Auer, mm -hmm. um, who, you know, was a wonderful critic, but it was just too big of a story for one person. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they brought me in and when I arrived um, in the year 2000, I walked into a features department that had, you know, dozens of people in it and many critics and was kind of the underling arts reporter for a while. And then eventually, and very sadly, Jim Auer passed away and mm -hmm. I kind of started to fill that role. And eventually, um, you know, I've been writing about art and architecture the whole time, but didn't mm -hmm. hold the title of critic until several years into my tenure at the Journal Sentinel. So I was at the paper for 18 years. And when I left the features department, the arts and culture department was much, much smaller. The entire newsroom was much smaller and my position was eliminated. And while that's disappointing, I, I, I do have to say that our local newspaper here in Milwaukee, um, you know, had an art critic for a lot longer than other newspapers, much larger mm -hmm. and in much larger cities. So I am very grateful to have had that job for as long mm -hmm. as I did. Yeah. I'm curious when you thought about, when you think back to that transition between writing primarily about politics to writing about art, obviously there's plenty to be said about how it in maybe in its ideal state, art is commenting on politics and, you know, not, not separate from that. But when you think of that transition for yourself, what similarities did you immediately observe or, or, or wild differences did you observe about spending your days covering one versus the other? Yeah. Well, I mean, the biggest shift really in those two kinds of writing is from writing with kind of the remove of a hoped for objectivity as a reporter and shifting into a mode of writing as a critic, which is a mm -hmm. much more embodied, you know, mm -hmm. kind of writing mm -hmm. where you mm -hmm. have to bring yourself and your own point of view to what you write, sure. how you write, what you choose to write about. Um, yeah, so I mean, I think that was the biggest shift and, and I did not, you know, I mean, one of the things that ultimately led to the film that I'm making right now was just looking across my newsroom and not finding other people who were really peers for what I was trying to do, right? Mm. They were, there were critics, but they're, diff they're theater critics or rock critics. They weren't really mm. doing the thing that I was doing, which is figuring out how to write about visual art. And so I yeah. started really looking across the landscape of journalism and finding peers there and seeing, you know, what does it mean to write about art today mm. uh, through, their, through their work and, and trying to figure out what that meant for me Mm -hmm. um, in the bargain. And so that, that was, I think the biggest, you know, shift. Um, and I don't know, politics also, I will just say, you know, at the time was not really allowed in our criticism. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. it, it, at least in my newsroom, it was mm -hmm. really considered separate. I was mm -hmm. really, um, discouraged from mm -hmm. writing about politics through the lens of mm -hmm. art. You know, oh, I wow. could write about art that might be political and I'd have to be careful about how I did that sometimes. But sure. the idea that you would write about the cultural moment you're living through, write about politics through the lens of culture and art, mm -hmm. which is, I think, the best way to do that, mm -hmm. it was yeah. not especially common for daily newspapers at that time. 
Mm. So as you started to, you know, look at the arts and culture scene and have the desire to articulate the things that you're seeing and the changes that you're seeing head on, how did filmmaking come into the foreground as, uh, as the mechanism by which to do that? Yeah, it's a great question. Well, so in the midst of that, looking across the landscape, right, and just watching what other arts writers were doing, who was doing what, how they were doing it, how they were thinking about this work, I couldn't help but notice how many of them were losing their jobs. Mm. You know, it seemed like every other week I was hearing about, oh, here's another daily newspaper that's given the axe to their art critic. And I started keeping a list on a post-it note in my cubicle in the newsroom of cities that no longer had kind of a Mm. full-time staff critic somewhere Mm. in their city. And that list started to get long, fast around 2007, 2008, 2009. And I didn't feel like there was a lot of discussion about this. And I think my journalistic got sort of just kicked in and said, you know, there's a story here, something is at stake here how do I unpack this? And, mm-hmm. you know, in the world of journalism, this piece of the story was eclipsed by the larger story of the massive disruption of media, the downsizing of newsrooms generally, the shuttering of newspapers and other forms of mainstream media. And in the art world, there's this other, you know, conversation about the quote unquote crisis of criticism, yeah. which is, you know, different, um, somewhat related, but also, you know, has been going on since longer than I've been alive and generally takes the form of a panel discussion that is mind-numbing and never arrives at any kind of <laughs> yeah, yeah. destination, right? I didn't want to do any of those things. And I just felt like it's a hard subject. It's an esoteric yeah. subject. And I didn't want to have a theoretical conversation. I wanted to have I wanted to tell stories that were human. And I knew that the people I had started to understand were out there doing this work were just really interesting people. Mm-hmm. And so I was having coconut pancakes with my friend, Mark Escribano at the River West Co-op one morning. And we were just like, maybe we should make a film. Like maybe that's the way to bring like, let's tell the story of this thing that maybe is going away from the planet. Yeah. Through the people that are living through this change, right? Mm-hmm. So, so it just, and I had been a videographer for a handful of years at that point. Um, and it just seemed like a natural medium for the story we were trying to tell. Now, I will say, I had no idea at that time what I was getting into. Like the idea that I was making videos for the paper is a little bit like saying I've mastered the art of writing a sentence and I'm now going to go write, you know, the great American (laughs) novel. Like it's just, it was really unrealistic in a lot of ways. And I've learned a lot about filmmaking in the 10 plus years that I've been working on this project. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think, you know, it's, it's turned out to be a really great way to bring these stories to life and what's Mm -hmm. at stake for the people who are going through it. So we just turned our cameras on a handful of critics and to see what would happen to them. Mm. So as, as a follow-up to that, tell us more about some of these critical characters within the Milwaukee arts and culture community, within the filmmaking community, who really made this seem like a possible venture for you. Yeah, there's so many. I'll try to be quick, but the, it's a kind of a long list. I mean, 
first and foremost, I had the support of my newspaper. I went to Marty Kaiser, who was the editor at the time and said, I've got this crazy idea. I think I should make a film. And he was like, that's great. Let's do it. You know, and he allowed me to use equipment from the paper. He allowed me to use the editing bay of the paper. He, we found ways for there to be kind of a win-win where I would be covering a thing, but also working on the film. So I, I really had, you know, the paper had my back, which was great. Amazing. Um, mm. We had, um, you know, people from the newspaper who have since left. Nicholas Legero um, was a designer at the paper. He is a designer for for our project. Um, Cindy Eggert Johnson, who was an editor at the Journal Sentinel, is now um, an assistant editor and a camera person on the project. So a few people from the paper have also been involved. Um, I mentioned Marcus Grabana, who was an artist who lived here for a long time, is now in LA, but he was a local that, you know, um, was super essential kind of on the front end of this project, would not exist without him being kind of my primary collaborator in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And right now, you know, our core team is um, Jonathan Olson is this truly um, brilliant editor and director. He's got his own feature film he's working on right now called Corridor. Um, mm -hmm. He is like, he's kind of like what Mark was to me in the beginning. He is mm -hmm. my kind of essential thought partner in all of this. Um, we're kind of writing this together in a way. Um, and also part of the kind of daily work is Katie Avila Lockmiller and Naomi Waxen. Um, Naomi's now in Chicago, but she studied here. She's from here. Katie's been living here for quite a long time. Um, Katie is um, an assistant editor and, um, you know, does a million things for, for this project literally every day. And Naomi is our director of audience development. So she's kind of running the show when it comes to like our season spark campaign that just concluded or our social media, things like that. Mm -hmm. um, and then I do also have to mention two very important people, um, Peggy Christensen. When I was at a point in this project where I felt really stuck and I was kind of by myself, Mark had moved away. I didn't have an editor yet. And I really was struggling alone. Um, Peggy Christensen wrote me a very generous check without my asking her to and said, you know, you need to get unstuck. You need to use mm -hmm. this money to, to find a way to make more money and to build your team. Mm -hmm. She wow. gave me some great advice and a little bit of money. And that, that, it, actually not a little bit, a nice little <laughs> chunk of money that really got me off the dime at a point mm -hmm. when I was stuck. Amazing. And I will be forever grateful to her for that. Mm -hmm. And she just saw, like she saw at that time, you know, what I had begin to, what I had begun to doubt that this project would ever get done, you know? Mm. And then the other person is Katie Heil, who I know is very dear to imagine. Um, she was the kind of early after Peggy, she came in with a, also a, a substantial gift that made forward momentum really possible. So that mm. early buy-in from her and her imprimatur, you know, counts for a lot too. So other people became interested mm -hmm. because of that. And so mm -hmm. sure. well, all those people and others, but that's a pretty good yeah. long list. Yeah. What an incredible group of folks supporting this yeah. work here, here in Milwaukee and in doing so 
allowing you tell, allowing you, supporting you in telling a story that is, that is nationwide, right? So you've been working on this for 10 years, which is remarkable. And I'm curious, you know, not to try and boil down the point of the film too succinctly, but what are you finding that are some common themes across communities as to the role that cultural reporters or art critics play within an arts and culture ecosystem of a place? And as you've worked on this over the past 10 years, has that shifted? Has that role shifted seismically or gradually? Like, what does that look like? Yeah, I mean, as I said a few moments ago, I mean, that's sort of this giant question, you know, what does it actually mean to write about art today? And it is a question I feel like I live with every day. I think about all the time. I don't actually feel I will ever answer completely, but Mm. we've learned a lot. And I will preface this by saying we did a survey of arts journalists. So after several years of working on this film, I went off on a fellowship. And during that fellowship, I turned my attention towards really trying to get to the bottom of that very question. Like what are the priorities and pressures of people that are doing this work today? There's a, there's just a big gap in our knowledge and we can, we had a lot of, we had a mountain of anecdotal information. And I felt like we needed to kind of dig deeper and be good um, researchers and reporters and actually go directly to the people who are doing this and ask. And we learned a lot of things. Um, A a lot of folks who do this work um, are not paid well, do not have a lot of visibility, are um, not especially valued um, in their institutions and in their Mm -hmm. communities, um, and are, um, you know, uh, often having to supplement their income with other forms of work, right? Mm -hmm. So we learned, for instance, that the people who hold visibility, influence, and pay in the field of art criticism is a very small number of people. Mm -hmm. And they are mostly white men in New York City. Mm -hmm. I'm shocked. (laughs) Yeah, right. So shocking. But at the same time, if you ask those, the the people in the field, like, who are the artists that are Mm -hmm. interesting to you? Who are the artists Mm -hmm. you are most drawn to writing about? They were not, you know, old white guys in New York City. And in truth, they would have been 15 years earlier. There was another Mm. survey that was done 15 years earlier that we modeled ours on. And the results allowed us to have kind of a wonderful, like before and after Mm. this really important period of change. And that earlier survey, like I think it was Jasper Johns and Robert Rauschenberg were like, you know, two of the artists critics Mm. most cared about kind of championing. And when we did our survey, it was, um, you know, Latoya Ruby Frazier, it was Doris Salcedo, it was um, uh, Hank Willis Thomas and the Post Commodity Collective. So it was artists who are not working in the centers necessarily, mm-hmm. who are artists of color, who are not the veteran artists. They are artists who are addressing issues of um, mm-hmm the political moment that we're living through. So a very big shift in terms of the interest. Mm -hmm. And yet there's this this dichotomy, right? Between who holds the visibility and the influence and who is kind of the the Mm -hmm. most interesting artist of our time. And so um, that was a big, I mean, that's not surprising necessarily, but it is a reveal and worth kind of keeping in mind, right? Um, Mm -hmm. So, 
does that answer your question? And I'm not sure if I answered your question entirely, but hopefully. Yeah. Yeah, it did. It did. You know, you talked about some of those white male critics out of New York (laughs) and we, you know, are curious. You had one of the subjects of the film is Jerry Saltz. Yeah. Who does, who does fit that bill? Doesn't he? Um, he does. And I'm yeah. curious, you know, what's a powerful insight that you've gleaned from, from him and, and any other subjects of the film that when we all see it someday soon, uh, yeah. you, you think we should particularly keep an eye out for him. So interesting. I mean, I do think that almost every critic we have interviewed in one way or another has expressed a lack of worthiness. Some people say Hmm. they feel like a fraud. And I Hmm. I think one of the things that's come out of this for me, kind of standing back and and listening to all of that is um, that we've given too much preciousness to this Hmm. title, right? Mm -hmm. We've allowed that title to be determined by the powers that confer it upon others a little bit too Hmm. much. So I think we sort of think of Mm-hmm. You know, what is a critic? Well, it's what the New York Times says a critic is. It's mm-hmm. what Art Forum says it is. But there mm-hmm. are so many people that are actually just simply doing the work of criticism who don't get that title conferred upon them formally. Um, and I kind of like the idea of reclaiming it for some of mm-hmm. those folks and applying it to some of those folks, even though, mm-hmm. you know, that there, it's a super complicated conversation I think there are other terms that people like better than critic too but um, Mm -hmm. I think that you know one insight is that it is the work it's not it's really important but it's not so precious we don't want to do the same thing we did with the kind of you know the singular male genius artist right we do a sort of similar thing with critics we give that the idea too much power to give you one really good insight um, what Jen Graves, who is in Seattle, was a longtime critic for The Stranger. Mm-hmm. She's a finalist for the Pulitzer, one of the earliest subjects mm-hmm. in our film. She likened her work to that of a postal worker. She's like, I'm here. I'm a civic employee. Mm-hmm. I, it's my job to bear witness to what artists do, mm-hmm. to translate that ex- my experiences for others so that it will be open to them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that there is there's a lot of value in an idea like that, especially for, you know, places like where we live here in Milwaukee, you know, where Mm -hmm. that work has a different, plays a different role than someone writing for a national audience. Can we talk about the elephant in the room? Yeah. (laughs) I see the elephant in the room as uh, the role that media and technology and all the changes therein have contributed to the sort of sea change and diversification that you've seen in the art yeah. world. Can you can you speak a little bit to that? Of course. I mean, so we again we turned our cameras on these critics more than ten years ago, and at that time, um, you know, the iPhone camera was pretty crappy. Um, Twitter was like this kind of new novel thing that was not being wielded by the office of the president. Um, the term fake news was not in common usage. No one could have imagined TikTok or NFTs. Like it was just a wholly different period, right? Mm-hmm. And today 
I often think about how the tools that once were rare and belonged kind of purely to the artist are effectively in everyone's hands, right? Mm -hmm. And that culture, visual culture is pouring out of our screens and our devices. It's pouring into our streets. It is shaping and misshaping Mm -hmm. how we see the world, how we see one another Mm -hmm. in entirely new ways. Like Mm, this is this period of time that we have lived through. And the writers in our film are, I have to say, I've made many, many mistakes making this film, but I feel very good about one thing, which is the people that we selected to be in it. Mm -hmm. And they have been very insightful in the midst of all of this change. They are as likely to write about social movements and memes and monuments as they are museums and galleries. Their definition Mm -hmm. of art Mm -hmm. has been very broad, almost from the get-go. And they've really pioneered, I think, new ways of thinking about this work and how it exists in the world. So I really, you know, I, I think about when I was a critic at the paper, art criticism felt like kind of an elitist exercise. It felt like a frill, a thing that was over here as a leisure exercise mm. for mm. people who mm-hmm. had the time for it. And I really now think about someone like Janae Osterhelt, who's writing for the Boston Globe or mm. Harag Vartanian, who runs Hyperallergic. They are, they're writing is in the very center of the most important conversations of our time. So mm-hmm. that's a huge shift, right? And so that is, I think, the answer to your question. Mm-hmm. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. How does how does Milwaukee fit into this moment? Uh, how do how do we you know what are we missing when we don't have that sort of dedicated criticism? How is how is that absence being filled in? Can you tell us more about that? Um, I'm probably the last person who should answer that question, <laughs> honestly, because I just have too much skin in the game. I mean, I yeah. do, but I do think that there are some really important developments happening outside of mainstream media. There's um, genre urban arts, which is doing kind of amazing a beautiful magazine that comes out, I think, quarterly and, you know, is just this rich territory for writing and thinking on art and writing that is art. Mm. Um, There is this wonderful program that is happening right now um, in a collaboration between Five Points Arts Gallery, Mm. Milwaukee Art Museum, and Critical Minded, um, which is a national organization that promotes the idea of you know, having more critics of color kind of mm-hmm. have visibility and pay. And so the, the three of those entities have created this residency for art critics called, I think it's the revolutionize, I'm going to get the title wrong, but it's like <laughs> revolutionize art criticism residency or something like something mm-hmm. like that. It has the word revolutionize in it, which I think is brilliant. Mm-hmm. And um, they're, they're in their first inaugural year of that. And I think that's refreshing and lovely to mm-hmm. see. Um, so yeah, I would like to see, uh, you know, a community discussion about how do we sustain the work of people like that doing that work? How can we all better sustain that? And one of the hopes that I have with this film is that we can actually go screen the film and have that conversation. Like, I think Mm -hmm. that you have to have that 
kind of on a community by community basis and to share the knowledge of like how other communities are doing that mm-hmm. and to see like what are we willing to do to, to sustain a publication like copyright magazine is another one mm-hmm. so, uh, and genre urban arts what what are we doing as a community to make sure those those outlets are you know thriving and supported mm-hmm. so zooming out just a little bit more from that based on these on your many years of seeing Milwaukee's arts and culture ecosystem and seeing shift and move, what's your perception of where Milwaukee's understanding of arts and culture is today or where Milwaukee's progress is in, I think, hopefully more fully embracing the essentiality of arts and culture as a leader in our city? Obviously, I asked this with a little bit of the like imagine angle and agenda, (laughs) but I am really, really interested in what you, what you see of, of how far we are or how close we are to, to that, some of that shift of understanding happening. Yeah, it's a great question. My brain kind kind of explodes a little bit with that question (laughs) because I I just feel like I've seen so many ups and downs over the Mm -hmm. years, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, I will say that making this film and, you know, also just making sure that I've gone in and out of Milwaukee over the years, like I do Mm -hmm. try to get out of Milwaukee to look at art. I spend a lot of time looking at art here. Um, I personally find it very refreshing to have the vantage point of both, you know, kind of an insider who has some connection to the art world, knows about it, is an observer of it, but also how valuable it can be to stand apart from that. Um, Mm. And I was literally just last night talking to a friend of mine who's a curator about the types of artists who thrive here Mm. um, and how unique that is and how lovely that is. Um, You know, I think about someone like Carl Bogner, who is the film department at UWM, or mm-hmm. um, John Riepenhoff, who runs the Green Gallery, um, Michelle Grabner, who does everything. She's an artist, <laughs> a critic, a curator, a gallery. You know, she's like yeah. this super power weight person in the art world, but she has this very specific practice here. Someone mm-hmm. like Polly Morris and all mm-hmm. the things that she does at Linden. Like mm-hmm. there is, there are people here who have a, such a true form of independence of spirit and mind um, who can, who create for themselves kind of an alternate infrastructure mm. of the art world systems. You know, they embrace the idea of being actually obscure in a place that is considered by obscure to others. You know what I mean? And thrive mm-hmm. in that. And I think that's a really lovely yeah. and unique thing. And you have to get out of Milwaukee to sort of really see that and appreciate that. It's a, a, a lovely, fragile reality here. Um, There have been these periods of richness and there have been these periods of quietness. And I think you take an ingredient or two away and it can change everything. You know, that's Mm -hmm. sort of the the fragile nature of an an arts ecosystem Mm -hmm. in Milwaukee. You know, I remember years ago, Mary Lou Canode is a wonderful curator who um, helped run Innova at UWM. Mm which was this incredible, like profoundly rich space for contemporary artists. They brought artists from Mm -hmm. all over the world for their first institutional show. It's this very rare thing that people in the art world knew about. People who were here didn't always appreciate. And and the people who ran it were just these brilliant folks, including Mary Lou, Mm -hmm. who had I had become friendly with. And when she left, 
like my whole life changed, you know, because wow. of that one absence that it <laughs> mm-hmm. changed Innova, it changed my conference, yes. the people I could have coffee and have conversations with. I think about, mm-hmm. you know, people like Sarah Price, who is a filmmaker who left. I think about Stephanie Barber. These are people who've left mm-hmm. a long time ago. Someone like Nicholas Frank. Mm-hmm. Um, these departures um, and arrivals have mm-hmm. the capacity to really change things a lot because of the scale of our ecosystem, mm-hmm. which just m- makes it all the more important to mm-hmm. protect what we have, right? And yes. I, I do feel like there is always this question about, you know, are we nourishing our artists enough? Mm-hmm. Is the Milwaukee Art Museum a place where the three of us will feel nourished, where artists will feel nourished? That's a really good question that no one's asking out loud because there's nobody at the daily newspaper, you know, like there aren't enough mm-hmm. people to write about those questions. Right. So that question isn't being asked very actively right now. Mm. And so, you know, I think those are um, questions to ask for, you know, where we are, where we're going. I also will just say, like, I'm a little out of it. Like I, when I left the paper, it was my job for 18 years to pay really, really, really Mm -hmm. close attention. Mm -hmm. And when that no longer was my job, I did kind of let go a little bit. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like there are other people who have a better handle on the state of things in Mm -hmm. Milwaukee right now. I don't feel like the best person to ask, Mm -hmm. actually. I think that was such a beautiful, encompassing answer. So thank you. And it sparked so many, sparked so many thoughts for me. And I just love the concept of how one of the upshots of this, you know, small, big city that we live in is that the characters and the institutions are just so interconnected. They, right. Like you said, like your life changed forever when the curator of Innova stepped away. I have to say personally, I met my husband at Innova. (laughs) So did you really? Yeah. 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 And so there's just, there's, these, you know, very personal, intimate connections that are being created all the time in the arts and culture scene. And it's, it's the best, it's the best. So, and I actually, I feel like the spirit of Mac has visited me while you were speaking (laughs) because Mac, um, who used to host this podcast and used to be part of our team and imagine he often inserted sports metaphors. And the first thing that came to mind as you were describing, you know, Polly Morris, Nicholas Frank, Michelle Grabner was like, why don't we have Milwaukee arts trading cards? Oh my gosh. (laughs) Some, some artist needs, some intrepid artist needs to create that as a project. Oh yeah. That's a great idea. Just to memorialize the people that we've lost even, you know? Yes. Stephanie Barber. Yes. That's right. Absolutely. I hope an artist is listening and we'll do that. Yeah. Please contact us if you are that artist. (laughs) Please, for sure. At the same time, there is absolutely a uniqueness to this moment in Milwaukee and the cultural landscape here. Um, It reminds me a little bit of the way we talked about Milwaukee 20 years ago when the Calatrava wing was opening at the Art Museum. And there was just a lot of excitement about what that Mm. might mean. Um, But the shift that we're seeing now is quite different, and it mirrors the shift that we're seeing kind of in the larger art world, where the conversation is really changing and diversifying and um, bringing in new voices and decentralizing. And if you think about just the last few years in Milwaukee and the things that we have seen happen here, 
There is the planned opening of the Bronzeville Center for the Arts. There is the full opening and kind of reimagining of the America's Black Holocaust Museum. There's the opening of the Five Points Art Gallery, the existence of Luna, which is about empowering Latinx artists. There's the Homeworks Project, which is the city, you know, actually collaborating with artists to bring artists and creatives into home ownership and have a stake in neighborhoods and actually transform neighborhoods. All of these things to me have similar things in common and it's sort of hard to put your finger on, but they are kind of closer to the ground. They are more community based. They are kind of changing the cultural landscape on a more neighborhood by neighborhood basis. And I feel like this is just incredibly exciting. It's changing the game, it's changing the conversation, it's decentralizing the conversation, it's serving as critique to what came before, to the power structures that have existed here in really unique ways. Mm. So as we begin to wrap up our time together, we always invite our guests to share with us you know, uh, or, or we, we offer our guests this temporary power of being the czar eh, might need a different name now, uh, <laughs> the leader of all arts and culture in the city for a few minutes, you have the power to enact whatever you want to enact. If it's a policy, if it's, um, just a practice change, whatever it is, if you could change anything, what's the first thing that you would do? I love this question so much. Thank you for conferring this um, power, this, although it's pretend, this pretend power on me, I love this question. I will say the thing that I have been kind of advocating for literally for almost 20 years, which I really believe that um, the city of Milwaukee should have an official arts administrator. I feel like imagine mm. in a way, imagine mm. Milwaukee sort of does yeah fulfill the role that is this giant hole in our city, but I believe cities mm -hmm. should have a person whose job it is to think about how artists and culture can be embedded into civic life. Yes. I think that there are, there are cities much smaller than ours that have these arts administrators and that there's so much value in having, you know, an advocate within the city who can um, look across the city as a whole and see that you know, there are a lot of ways for artists to engage in civic life, whether, you know, there are murals, of course, there's public art, there's embedding within institutions. But I think someone who's informed and thinking about that all the time can say, you know, there's this other kind of program that I'm seeing happen in, you know, Austin, Texas, or Oakland, mm -hmm. California. And why don't we think about bringing that into our ecosystem who can kind mm. of bring a balance, almost like a curatorial balance to the ways in which artists function in public here. Mm -hmm. um, my favorite example of this is Karen Wolf in Madison, who I just feel is able to show all the kind of this great diversity of how artists can function in public by just being a person at the city whose job it is to do mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. And I know she does everything. She is able to sort of speak the language of artists, the language of bureaucrats, the language mm -hmm. of like workers at the Department of Public Works. She can write grants. She will paint walls for muralists. Like she kind of does it all and makes so much possible through her mm. sheer presence. Mm. And I feel like Milwaukee is just um, 
could be such a great city for that. Madison is actually kind of a touchy, difficult city to do art. And I feel like Milwaukee in, in many ways is more open to the mm. work of artists. And one position in the city would um, go a very, very long way. And it, I just feel like it's something we could use. Amazing. Can we take that for our commercial? <laughs> yes. Yes. If you can get it to happen. I mean, yeah. Right. I mean, it just feels like it's such a no brainer. I don't understand why we can't make a little space for that. <laughs> well, we are going to take that spirit uh, forward with our work. We agree with you yes. and that need for, for, um, the value to be fully embedded and fully understood in, in our city. Uh, and uh, we'll turn to you as a partner in it, in, a, in, in, a, in our advocacy. We're going to, we're going to, you know, um, we'll be knocking on your door, knocking on your door. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. But in, knock away. <laughs> in the meantime, in the meantime, how can our audience find you? How can our audience find out of the picture? How can they support? Tell us more. Sure. So out of the picture um, will be, we are literally like nine or 10 weeks away from reaching our final edit on this film. Um, We're hip deep in the process. We're excited about it. It will, will apply for festivals in the fall and it will come out next year. Um, If you would like to be in, you know, kind of just pay attention to this project, you can go to our website, which is outofthepicturemovie.com and sign mm-hmm. up for our newsletter, which goes out fairly occasionally. So it's not like we're going to bombard your inbox, but like if you want updates, that's a mm-hmm. really great way to do it. And um, we just this week completed a crowdfunding campaign. So there's a whole bunch of footage mm-hmm. on my Instagram feed. We, um, Jonathan, our editor, created something like 20 something clips, little teasers mm. that will show you kind of who's in our film, what our film looks like. So there's a lot to sort of look at on awesome. my Instagram account. So that's Mary Louise S on Instagram. Fantastic. Well, congratulations. And yes, yeah, so exciting. Really Thank you. looking forward Thank to you. seeing the, the final result. For sure. Thank you so much. I appreciate the chance to chat about all of this with you guys. I am excited about how she's not restrained anymore. She's allowed to embody Mm -hmm. her whole voice. Yeah, yeah. I agree with that. You know, obviously, uh, there's a loss in not being able to have that sort of uh, coverage and that sort of dedicated voice um, in in a major news outlet in Milwaukee. But also to be able to learn more about how she's uh, reinventing her herself a little bit and bringing that expertise and that storytelling to her own sector in a way, right, yeah. uh, is really fascinating. And it's also really exciting to see that this story that feels like it desperately needs to be told about this this sea change and how we how we care about it how we adapt to it of arts and culture not necessarily being uh covered in the same way Mm -hmm. uh that that nationwide story is coming out of Milwaukee that's amazing I'm really glad to hear about the incredible work she's done over the past 10 years and I'm interested to think about how we as a sector continue the conversation 
about uh, what do we care to, uh, what stories do we care to tell about arts and culture now? Mm. If things have changed, how do we make that change be ultimately in the long run somehow for the better, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm also struck by the value that I think is going to come across and, and be inherent in this project. The fact that it's been conducted over the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. That's like a, that's quite a marathon. Mm-hmm. And a good reminder of the need for sometimes the need for patience. That, that really good, important things take time, yeah, <laughs> which is absolutely. hard to remember. And also that some stories might change while you're trying to wrap your arms around them. And so mm-hmm. I, I envision, you know, as she was saying in our discussion, like when she started this film, NFTs weren't a thing. Like she, yeah. she was starting oh God, in like yeah. a new world, um, yeah. you know. Yeah or I'm sorry, she was starting in the old world. And now the end of the film, the completion of the film will find her in the new world mm-hmm. um, post pandemic, mm-hmm. or is that a thing? I don't know if post pandemic. I don't know. Right. But yeah, t- completely in this place of everyone has the ability to be a, essentially la- an immediate and micro critic mm-hmm. of art, you know, you, you and, and Content that is put out on TikTok, yes. for example, like she talked about, that's art, right? If we want it to, if we want it to be, not to diminish the understanding of of um, what maybe was our understanding of, of art before, yeah. but um, but I think in a way that's that's shifted people's minds in a way that could be really capitalized to help them be more engaged participants in. Uh, creativity in their city mm, in a, building in, in person in live yeah. <laughs> environment yeah yeah and culture building for sure mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um it also <laughs> on the other side of the coin it also makes me think of the sort of icky rise I'm going to say icky because yeah. this is my personal opinion but icky rise of the sort of colloquial uh use of the word curator to describe mm-hmm. people who select things. Mm-hmm. I think that's really funny. Like now when you throw a party, you, you don't just like pick the cheeses that you put on a cheese tray. <laughs> you, you might curate them. That's right. That's right. Comple- <laughs> might be totally overused now. And what is it about our culture that if you, if you aren't taking that sort of care with whatever it is, it doesn't feel curatorial. <laughs> you know, why does it cross that line? I don't know. I don't have I the answers. I think it has something to do with, with what this film is, is striking at the heart of um, mm-hmm. just the rise of media, the rise of mm-hmm. everyone being empowered with the tools to mm-hmm. contribute their artistic perspective, particularly in the digital space. Well, speaking of the digital space, we're mm-hmm. glad you all were here with us today, listeners. Indeed. Yeah. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a reading and review, or contact us directly at pod at imaginemke.org. Imagine This Podcast is a team effort produced, edited, and hosted by David Lee, Lindsay Sheridan, with support from me, Elizabeth Gasparka. Our theme music was written and produced by Bobby Drake. To catch all the latest from Imagine MKE, hit us up at Twitter and Instagram at Imagine underscore MKE or Facebook or LinkedIn Imagine space MKE. Thanks again, and we'll catch you next Tuesday. Bye. Later.